All right, well, welcome, church. I hope you're doing good today. I'm excited to uh, be here this morning. Uh, it's exciting to be back up here to preach. I've been off for two weeks, so, uh, but Dustin and Blake have done an incredible job and uh, get so excited to hear them preach. That's probably one of my favorite things is to, get to hear uh, what God's doing in their heart and their life. And um, so anyway, but a couple things I want to celebrate this morning. Uh, baptisms are always a special time for us. It's so incredible to watch people uh, who you guys probably don't know a lot of their backstory, but I get the opportunity to see it and hear it and talk with them about it. And what an incredible privilege to get to see people uh, celebrate going from death to life. It's why we exist as a church is to connect people to a growing relationship with Christ and for them to be able to stand in front of you and say, hey, God has done something in my heart and I'm now walking in a growing relationship with Christ is something worth celebrating. And so, and then also, uh, the moment kind of a lot of us in this room maybe have been waiting for, I guess, uh, I've kind of uh, been holding back on y'all for the past two weeks uh, before we celebrated uh, the 1-8 Project. If you're not familiar with that, the 1-8 Project is something that we started about a month and a half ago. And what it is, is it's a project for us as a church to raise a million dollars over three years and uh, what we've done is, is basically uh, we, our primary goal through that was to have everybody participate. And uh, that has been awesome to watch everybody come out and, and make commitments uh, to do that. Our goals are really we have three objectives we're trying to accomplish. One is to buy land, purchase land here in Vidalia. Uh, two is to break ground on a permanent facility here in Vidalia. And three is to plant Connection Church in Athens. And so this whole project has been just incredible for me. It's the first time I've ever done anything like this as a pastor, uh, but also just incredible to watch as you guys uh, step up to the plate and say, man, I want to be a part of what God's doing. And so uh, for us, the thing I'm probably most proud about um, is that we had 77% of our adult attendants participate in the 1-8 Project. And so that's something I want to celebrate because I think that's absolutely awesome. And so um, you guys know our primary goal through this uh, was that 100% of people would participate. I told you several times, uh, we're more of a scrappy church, right? So uh, in a positive light, uh, that means we don't have anybody that's going to stroke us a check for a million dollars or somebody that would choke us a check for even $500,000, right? And so, um, and I love that about our church because it takes everybody to play their part and be a part of what they're doing. And so uh, we had 155 families or, or individuals commit uh, over th for a three-year commitment to the 1-8 project. And here's what I'll tell you before I tell you the number. I was so proud that the average number of the 155 commitments that they committed over three years uh, was over $7,000 per family or per person over three years, which is just incredible in itself. Uh, that blew me away. And so uh, the total number uh, that we were able to raise, the goal was a million. And uh, from 155 commitments, uh, we committed $1,122,912 over three years. So that's incredible, yeah. So it's just incredible to think about, and uh, it just blesses me as your pastor to, to know that you guys are on board with where God's leading us and taking our next step, and I'm excited to see uh, and have already heard incredible stories. That you, One of the things I challenged you to do is to give as much as you can and then just give a little bit more the way the Corinthians did uh, and, and step out in faith and, and watch God provide. And he's done that. I've heard from several of you guys how the exact number you gave that you didn't think you could afford, God has already given it back to you. And I think it's cool to see God working in those ways. So if you got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 17. 
Acts chapter 17 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, It's an incredible passage, and and I can't wait to preach it. So let me pray for us, and we'll jump right into that. So Father, uh, we love you, and uh, God, we're so excited to hear from you this morning. God, we know, uh, God, that you've revealed yourself in your word. And so, Lord, we study it, God. We want to know you more today. Lord, I pray. Uh, I know there's so many different people uh, in this room right now that are in different spots, some good spots, some bad spots. Uh, But, God, I know that you desire to speak to every one of us through your word. So, Lord, I pray through the power of your Holy Spirit you would do that this morning. God, give us a next step to take, and I pray we'd have the courage to take it. Father, speak to our hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, Acts chapter 17. Uh, we're in this series called Sent, where we've been talking about uh, the church, right? If, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible or not familiar with the book of Acts, Acts is the story of the early church, right? So we saw in Acts chapter 2 and 3, Jesus ascended back to heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit to indwell his believers. And what happened is these believers started forming churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, we've seen that over the past few years. We saw in Acts chapter 9, a guy by the name of Paul uh, get saved radically, a guy that used to be a person persecutor of the church has turned into the biggest missionary and church planner the Bible has seen. This is the same guy that wrote three quarters of the New Testament. And so in Acts 9, we see him come to faith. And now really for the rest of the year, what Acts does is kind of follow his missionary church planting journey. And so uh, we've heard in uh, the past two weeks about that. And today we're continuing on. Paul has come to a place called Athens, uh, not Athens, Georgia, though they probably need the gospel right now after last night's game. Um, but this is Athens uh, in Greece, and this is a very interesting town, and uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so here's the thing I want you to see as really the common question that I think each of us have that I believe this text will answer for us. Pretty much every person sitting in this room that is a Christian has probably asked this question before, and the question is this, how do I reach my unsaved friends? How do I reach the people in my life? How do I share the gospel with people in my life that don't know the Lord? How do do I, how do I, what do I say? How do I go about doing that? And I think what we see in this text is Paul gives us a a, a good method and a way and a heart behind how to do this. And so that's what I want us to see as we read through it. So starting in verse 16, it says this, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, a few things you need to know about Athens as we read this. Uh, Number one is Athens uh, was the intellectual capital of the world at this time. It was a place where a lot of very educated people would come. You know, you could almost think of it as like a Harvard, Yale, Princeton, like an Ivy League type of place where people were very interested in new ideas or new teachings or new philosophies. And so also, uh, on the other hand, it was the athletic capital of the world. Many of us probably know Athens is where the Olympics formed for the first time, right? And so there was huge Colosseum and and all sorts of things there uh, where the Olympic Games would have been uh, performed. It was also a place that if if you and I could walk there uh, back in the time when Paul was walking there, there would be tons of temples to different gods, right? You've heard of Greek mythology, so to speak, same kind of difference. Uh, if you walked in literally on every hill or every high place, there would be a majestic temple uh, to a different god, the god of war Ares or the god of sex Aphrodite or uh, the god of you know sun god, the moon god, all of these things. And so everywhere you looked, it was known, many people, historians would say at that time, when you come into Athens, it was easier to meet a god than it would be to meet a human being. That's how many temples I'm talking about. So this place 
place would have been a very uh, glorious place and it would have been a big deal for Paul to come in. And what does it say about Paul? It says when he came into Athens and saw all of this set up, it says that he was greatly distressed because this was a city full of idols. And so what I want you to see in this first verse is that this Paul's heart was moved when he looked and he saw all of these people worshiping unknown gods. There was something that it did in his heart. It gave him a burden that he wanted these people to know Christ. He wanted them to know that, hey, this God that you're worshiping is not the God of the Bible. And the closest thing I can think about in comparison to this is, uh, you know, in, in this spring or, or really January, I, I got to go over to India and, and help Pandu, who's a guy that we partner with, a church planner in India. And um, one of the things that you do while you're over there is, is Hinduism is the, the major religion there. And, um, you know, if you know anything about Hinduism, it's kind of the same way. They have different gods and these big temples set up. And, you know, I, it's crazy because you go in and you just kind of learn about Hinduism and what it is. But one of the things that you see is when you go in these temples is you see a dad about the age of me and a child uh, like my son who's two and a half years old. And the dad will go around and hold his son's hand and he'll walk up to this temple which is the god of money and they'll bow down and they'll burn incense and lay an offering some sort of food or some sort of money in front of this god of money and he'll talking to his son will we'll tell him hey if you you keep this god happy he will bless you with money and then they kind of hold hands and go to the next uh, god and they come up to the god of of food and say, hey, if, if we keep this God happy, then God will bless us with food and success in life. And it's, it's one of the most heart-wrenching, just heartbreaking things you'll ever be a part of in your entire life, uh, knowing that the God of the Bible is the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and to know that there are people, a lot of times we get so caught up in South Georgia that we're, we're not used to uh, seeing other people work, worship other things. And we, you really don't know how to respond to that. Because on one of you, it's like you want to walk up and be like, whoa, what are you doing? How are you doing? But then on the other hand, worshiping those gods are the same as you and I sitting and coming into a Christian church right here today. And so we have to have a strategy and we have to have uh, um, a, 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 a love and a heart and a burden for these people so that we can share and lead them to the gospel and lead them to the God uh, effectively, right? And so what does Paul do? How does he respond with all these emotions? He's, he's, he's greatly provoked. That's a very strong word. Uh, it says, what does he do? Does he go in and start protesting? Does he close the doors of the temple and tell them to get out? No, he doesn't respond that way. Does he pull out his bullhorn and tell them all that they're going to hell? Though that would probably be, that's true. No, he doesn't do that. What does he do? He begins to uh, engage this group of people through relationship, through conversations. And let's hear what he says to them. Verse 17, it says, So Paul reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him, with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler? Babbler would have been not a very good term. That's basically saying, dude, you're an idiot. Quit talking. What's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked. He seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. There's a, a, a good hint if you want to underline he was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. No matter where Paul went, he was always, the message was always coming to Jesus 
and then to the resurrection because the resurrection is the greatest proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Now, it mentions two types of philosophers in this passage. It mentions an Epicurean philosopher and a Stoic philosopher. I don't expect you to know what those are, so I want to tell you because these are the type of people that Paul's encountering when he's talking. So the Epicurean would basically have been people uh, that were lovers of pleasure, right? And so you know what I mean when I say philosophy? Philosophy would be uh, a specific worldview, so to speak. So you and I are born, uh, most of us are raised in South Georgia. We have a Christian uh, Southern uh, worldview, right? So everything we see is through the lens of a Southern Christian worldview, right? So I love doing this when I take groups of people on mission trips that have never been out of the country before. Uh, we go to places like India or we go to places like London or Italy or wherever it is, and uh, people are driving on the right side of the road. And of course, I'm with this group of people that's familiar with driving on the left side of the road. And their comment is always, why are they driving on the wrong side of the road? Well, to you, it's the wrong side of the road. To them, you're driving on the wrong side of the road, right? And so it, it happens with our worldview. Our worldview is basically the belief that shapes everything that we see, how we act, how we talk, uh, what we view. And so Paul obviously has a Christian worldview, but some of these other people do not have that worldview, right? And so these Epicureans would come in with the worldview of they were basically lovers of pleasure, uh, happiness was their main goal. They believed that God uh, or God's multiple gods would have been composed of atoms so fine that they dwelt in the space between the worlds. You don't, we don't really get this a lot today, but uh, they just believe that, that gods are, are, are different. We don't have one God, we have many gods, and they kind of really don't have anything to do with us or the world. So because of that, uh, the, the Epicureans really embraced a YOLO lifestyle, right? You've heard that term. You only live once, so live it up, do whatever you want to do because there's no consequences, right? So if the gods want nothing to do with us, we can basically live it up and do what we want to do. If it feels good, do it. There are no consequences to it. Whatever makes you happy, do it, right? So it's this pluralistic type society where whatever's good for you, you do it, you do it. Uh, that's what the Epicureans would have believed. On the other hand, you have these Stoic philosophers. Uh, Stoic philosophers were pantheists. Um, pantheists would be somebody who equates God and uh, and nature, right? So uh, you've probably seen this. The best way I know how to explain it, if you do yoga, don't get mad at me, but yoga is kind of the idea, right? It's, it's you're trying to channel and connect with your inner being and the, the nature of the world is going to bring this inner feeling of peace and, you know, God's connected into that somehow. And so uh, actually yoga came from the Stoic philosophy. And so you see that. And so they believed God was in everything. It's similar to Hindus today who really have a God for everything, a sun God, a moon God, a, a food God, a, you know, all these things that uh, different types. And their main thing is to keep a positive attitude. Just smile, be happy. Bear it. There's nothing you can do about external circumstances anyway. You, you just focus on channeling the internal positive energy and you'll be happy. And so that was this uh, stoic philosophy. So what did Paul do? He had this group of people that just believed completely different than him. So how does he handle it? Let's read verse 19. It says, Then these philosophers took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. Verse 21. 
All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Again, Athens was a place that was very open to new ideas. They wanted to hear what was this new teaching. And so they grabbed Paul and said, well, this guy's got a new teaching. Let's bring him in. But here's the thing you got to understand with these people that believe in many gods, uh, it's kind of when we went to India, it's the same way. You know, when you're preaching to a crowd that believes in Hinduism and believes in many gods, to just preach Jesus and Jesus died for your salvation and he loves you and he wants a relationship with you. And this is this great God that wants to introduce you to abundant life. For them, they don't hear, okay, there's one God, Jesus. They hear, oh yeah, this is a great God. Let's add him to the group, millions of our other gods and we'll be okay with Jesus the same way we're okay with other gods. And so Paul would have known that they would have heard things this way. And so in the Areopagus would have been a, this big meeting hall where you have a ton of different people, kind of like today. And, uh, and Paul would have spent uh, a long time discussing these things. So what we read in a little bit of time would have been discussed probably over hours of time. It was a kind of a, 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 a talk and get feedback type of place. So listen to what Paul says, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, and this is what he said. People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. I want you to notice that Paul starts with their questions, right? He, Paul's an absolute genius at building bridges with people. So he's walking around Athens and he sees a temple. He walks up to it. Uh, the temple where usually the name of the God would be says to an unknown God. So they're worshiping, burning incense, laying stuff, sacrifices down to a God that they don't even know. So of course, Paul's heart is like, hey, I know the God that you're trying to worship, that this desire within you to worship something was put in you by the God of the Bible that wants you to be in a relationship with him. And it just, just spurs Paul's heart to want to do that. But what happens is you see a difference in the way he goes about it. Anytime in, in, in earlier uh, chapters of Acts that Paul would go into uh, the synagogue. He was known to go into the synagogue of the town, which would have been made up of Jewish people. And he would always go to the Bible and it would say he would use the scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. And so why would Paul not come up to these philosophers and bring out the Bible and turn to John 14, 6 and say, Jesus is the tr way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except for through him. He used a different method, right? It wasn't that he didn't believe the Bible, but he knew the best way to reach these people was to not hold up a book in front of them that they don't even believe has any authority over anything. They don't even believe this is the word of God. They don't believe anything. So the strategy that he used was he went in through their questions. He said, listen, I see that you guys are worshipers. Let's talk about that. Who are you worshiping? What are you worshiping? The God that you say is unknown, I want to tell you how he reveals himself in the scriptures. And he doesn't even point to them. He just off of his mind begins to take them through the story of God. Verse 22. Uh, Never mind, go a little bit different than that. Verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath 
and everything else. Notice that Paul, not only does he go in through their question to answer in a way that's relevant to them, but also what he does is he points out the logical problem with their belief. What does he tell them? He says, listen, he starts to play on their mind and say, does it even make sense to you that the God that created the whole world, everything you, everything else would be contained in a temple that you can build? Does that even make sense to you? And he tries to get them to think deeper uh, in, into what they're doing so that they can understand that, that, that our God, the God that created everything does not exist in a temple. He's God. He doesn't need people to worship him. God in himself uh, does not need anything based off the definition of him being God. What else does he do? Verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being as some of your own prophets have said. Listen, he even quotes their own prophets to begin to get them. And I never understood this as much until uh, this, this winter in India as we were preaching to thousands of people in India. Uh, one of the pastors that was with us preached and he opened his sermon with a quote from Gandhi. And Gandhi, if you know anything about him, is a hero in India. He wasn't a Christian, but he, he was a great just Samaritan and a good person. He did a lot of uh, philanthropic things, uh, just was a great person uh, for their, and they're super proud of him. So he, he shares a quote uh, from, 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 from Gandhi, man, and these people just come alive. And they're like, man, he understands us. He wants us, and they want it. And so Paul, what he does is he finds this common ground to say, even your philosophers understand that we came from God because they even say we are his offspring. Verse 29, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now he begins to share the gospel. Verse 31, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, Jesus. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising this Jesus from the dead. So it's so cool to watch how Paul goes into this place and he, he, he begins to, he, he understands them. He understands what they believe and how they work and, and, and studies the culture and observes it and then begins to strategically share the gospel with them in a way that they actually receive it. And part of that is the Holy Spirit, of course, but also a part of that is just Paul having a good strategy when he goes in to reach these people. And so what I want you to see is that uh, Paul knew God's redemptive plan. He knew the story of salvation. And listen, you need to know it too. If you're a Christian, you need to be able to know that, listen, God created every person in this world, including you and me. Every person in this entire earth was created by God on purpose, by him and for him. They're created to be in a relationship with him, to know him, to walk with him, to glorify him, to worship him. Every person, and they'll only find satisfaction and fulfillment and, and true joy in that relationship because that's the very purpose that they're created for. But you and I both know that sin messes that up. 
Sin is this idea that every one of us is born into, right? So not only were we created by God for God, but we were also born into sin. That means that you and I were born selfish people. If you didn't know that about yourself, welcome, right? This is, this is who we are. You don't decide to be selfish. You just come out selfish. It's why when you don't get what you want as a baby, you cry. Think of yourself as an adult baby. We all have that selfish tendency inside of us. The Bible calls that sin, and that sin separates us from God. And so the very thing that we were created for and by to be in a relationship with, our sin separates us from him. But God, in his grace and in his mercy, sent Jesus Christ to die for you and I, to pay the penalty that you and I deserved so that you and I could be reconciled back to God into a relationship with him, be filled with his Holy Spirit, and then begin to be used by God as we walk in a relationship with him. That's God's redemptive reconciliation, his plan from Genesis to Revelation, all in about 10 minutes. And so you and I as Christians, we need to know that. So that we can begin because that changes everything. It changes the way we see people. It changes the way we talk to people, right? Most people that I know that were taught how to share the gospel, listen, there's nothing wrong with this, but it's just ineffective in a lot of environments, right? They were taught uh, to keep a track in their Bible, right? So they pull out this track and whoever created the track that, ha that, that was money uh, should be kicked in the shin about three times, right? So they create this track that's money, and they're taught to leave it somewhere, right? So uh, somebody who sees money, like, oh, man, I need a dollar. They pick it up, and it's a track saying, oh, you thought money was going to buy you happiness, but God is. I've never seen somebody get saved reading one of those. <laughs> and so that's how we're taught. Instead of actually engaging people the way that Paul engaged people, right? God wants us to love him and love people and begin to see why they are the way they are and begin to form a relationship with them and then introduce them to the greatest story ever told, the fact that they were created by God. And God has a purpose for their life. And listen, they're probably searching for purpose and meaning and life and all kinds of different things, but they're only intended to find it in one place and that's God. And listen, you and I have that story, not only do we have that story, but we have the good news that, listen, they can't do it on their own, but God's already done it for them. So, hey, listen, just as I couldn't do it on my own and I was in sin and I came to faith in Christ, now I have a relationship with God. Let me teach you the same thing so that you don't have to look anywhere else for this anymore. But listen, most of us are so busy in our life. Most of us are so focused on ourselves and our own agenda that we forget the people to our right and to our left. They're living life separated from God. And God's placed us there to help them. And listen, we only get one shot. Most of us are around 70 years at this. And God's given us an opportunity and we need to seize the opportunity and begin to be used by God, for God, especially if we are believers. Verse 32 says this, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed in Jesus. Among them was Dionysius, a member of 
the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. And right, so Paul shared this message. He what I what this is called is contextualizing the gospel so that you put it in a way where they can understand. And many came to faith in Christ, but also others walked away. And listen, Paul knew it's not on him to save everybody. It's on him to be faithful, to love God, to love people, and to share the gospel. God saves people. He'll take care of the rest. We just have to be faithful to share the message, to love people, and to show them Christ in the way we live and the way we talk. So today, what do I want to do? I got about 10 minutes left. I just want to give you three very basic things that I think you can really take away from this text to help you. And here's what I want you to see. There's three keys that we can learn from Paul about effectively reaching people. The first one is this, Paul's heart. Listen to this. We do not talk like Paul. I know what you're thinking. As you read this, a lot of times I back up and I'm like, man, I'm just not Paul. I'm not that smart. Like there's no way I could effectively observe this culture, know the people, know enough about Epicurean philosophy and Stoic philosophy to just boom, off the hip, shoot out all this information to meet them with the gospel where they are. But here's what I'd tell you with that. The reason we do not speak like Paul is because we do not feel like Paul. And this is because we do not see like Paul. What do I mean? Paul loved God. He loved people. And he knew and desired so much for people to know God that he was willing to do whatever it took to reach people. Here's what I mean. I want you to think about the person in your life that's most precious to you. I want you to think about your son, your daughter, your mom, your dad. I want you to think that they were, when they were born, they were born blind and they couldn't see anything. But they're also born a sinner and born separated from God. And you know that they were created by God for God and God has a purpose for their life, but they need to be reconciled and saved into a relationship with him. But they're blind, so you can't show them that in the Bible. But there's a language called Braille that they can learn to feel. And there's Bibles that are actually printed in Braille so that they can begin to learn about God and learn to walk with God in a relationship with him through Braille. How quick would you learn the language of Braille so that you could communicate the gospel to your son or your daughter? I want you to think for a minute that your daughter was born deaf. She couldn't hear. And you loved her and you wanted her to know God so bad that you were willing to learn sign language so that you could present the gospel to her in sign language. Why would you be so willing to learn Braille and to learn sign language? It doesn't matter how hard the languages are to learn. It matters how much you love the person that you're trying to communicate to. Paul's heart when he went into a place like Athens and he saw the idolatry and he saw the people lost and separated from God, that burden inside of him for them to know God, for them to be reconciled to God the same way he was reconciled with God, drove him to do whatever it took. He learned whatever he had to learn to reach people. And so for me, it's very convicting, and I pray that it's convicting for you because, listen, I just want to know, and I want to ask you the question this morning, does lostness bother you that much? Does the idolatry of others, watching people give their life to things in this world that do not matter, 
and rest in the weight of their happiness and their joy and everything on things of this world that are fleeting? Does it bother you at all? Does it break your heart? Because if it does, your actions will show it because you'll be doing whatever it takes to reach people. Most of our problem is not a method problem. Most of our problem is most of us were so consumed with ourselves that we don't even care about the coworker beside us. We don't even care about the people across the street. We don't even care about the people around the world that literally if they die tomorrow, they spend eternity separated from God in hell. And God has saved us into the vehicle called the church that he intends to use to reach people. Listen, I tell you this all the time, Connection Church, you may be the only Jesus that somebody in your life ever experiences. If you don't take the message of the gospel to them, nobody else is gonna take it to them. God has given us that privilege to be a part of his rescue team. Number two is Paul's method. Not only did Paul have this heart that just drove him, but he had this incredible method for sharing the gospel with other people. Paul was a, what I would call a chameleon. A chameleon's a lizard that can literally change colors based off of the environment where he was. If he was on sand, he'd be sand color. If he was on a tree, he'd be a green color. He could just go into any environment and adapt and fit in. Paul was the same way. If he was in the Jews, if he was in the church with the religious people, he could talk like the religious people to get them to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. If he was out in the streets and he was talking to a Stoic philosopher or Epicurean philosopher, he could talk like them. He could use their own philosophy to bring them back to the fact that they are created to worship God and they were missing out on the greatest thing their life could ever have. So what do we learn from this? Because most of us probably won't engage in a Stoic philosopher or engage with a Epicurean philosopher, but what we will engage with are probably the four best examples of the type of people in South Georgia, in this area that each of us will have the opportunity to reach. I want, you to, I want to give you these four people. These are the four most common types of people that I've come to realize over 10 years in ministry. The first one is what I would call the unsaved Christian the unsaved Christian. This would be the person that's grown up in church their whole life. If you ask them if they're a Christian, there's an overwhelming, absolutely, I'm a Christian. Got saved, baptized when I was 12, went to church camp when I was six. Yep, know it. I love the Bible. Do you read the Bible? No. Uh, do you follow the Bible? No. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? Yeah, I'm working on that. I'm trying to get better. You know, it's this person that literally you look at, they claim to be a Christian, which is probably 90% of the people uh, it, that will encounter. I mean, there's people in this room right now, when you think about it, if I asked you face-to-face, -face, are you a Christian? You'd say yes. But then if we started to look into areas of your life and said, hey, do you, do you have, tell me about your relationship with God. Do you, 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 you know, walk with God on a daily basis? And it would be non-existent. Ninety percent of the people that you'll encounter in this culture, listen, the hardest person to reach is the person that thinks they have what you're offering. You understand that? So the person that thinks they are saved, that they're a Christian, but then you go in and you say, well, the Bible says a Christian loves God and walks with God and they live on the mission of God and God's the Lord of their life. And you say these things and in their, their heart, they're thinking, well, yeah, that's, that's me. 
But then when you look at their life, their life doesn't match up to that. That they don't love God because they don't spend time with God. They don't love people. They, don't, they, they live a selfish lifestyle where everything's about them. They love people for what they can give to them. That they don't embrace the mission of God to make disciples because the mission of God's not important to them. Because again, they don't love God. And, and if you don't love God, you don't love God's mission, right? And so you, you just get this thing. So how, what do you do? Well, God's actually called us to plant a church here for that very reason, because that's what God saved me out of. I thought I was a Christian. I was in church. I was involved with FCA. I was doing, going through the motions of Christianity. I no more had a relationship with God than Joe Blow in India right now. I just knew what to say. I knew how to talk. I knew all these things because I was raised in that environment. But when it came down to me personally have a relationship with God, it was non-existent. So how do you reach that person? How can I send you guys out in a culture where 90% of the people that you'll be called to reach will be that person that says, yes, I'm a Christian, but their life looks nothing like Christ. The best strategy to reach that person is to focus on their relationship with God. Listen, most of these people, it's not that they don't want a relationship with God, it's that they've never been taught what a relationship with God is. And the only time they'll ever see it is when somebody loves them enough to sit in front of them and show them what a relationship with God is. And guess who that person is? It's you, it's me. Listen, I jumped into a small group when I got over to Statesboro and for the first time in my entire life, I saw a group of men that had a relationship with God. It was something I'd never, I'd never seen up close before. And when I sat in that room, you know what the God spoke to my heart? Whatever they got, I don't but I want it. And you know what they were able to do? Show me what a relationship with God is and it changed my life forever. God's asking you to do the same thing. Do you have a real relationship with God? If we don't have one, we can't show other people. The second type of person that God's called us to reach is what I'd call a, is a build-a-bear Christian. A build-a-bear Christian. How many of you guys know what a build-a-bear is? This is something where somebody wasn't satisfied with uh with a regular uh, brown teddy bear. So they formed a store where you can literally go in and build any kind of bear you want to in any shape, any form, any thickness, hardness, color, whatever you want, right? Well, a lot of times when it comes to Christianity, especially in our culture, this is the type of Christians that we find. It's the type of person that would say, yeah, I'm a Christian, absolutely. I go to church, I, I love this. But then when it comes to their life being up under the authority of the Bible, it's non-existent, right? So when it comes to their sex life, they don't submit to God. When it comes to how they love people, they don't submit to God. So when it comes down to when their life and their opinion and their feeling disagrees with what God's word says, they win and God's word doesn't win. What do you do with a person like that, right? Again, the hardest people to reach is somebody who thinks they have what, what you're trying to give them. But the Bible is so clear to be saved means that you have Christ as Savior, and as Lord of your life. And when we're submitted to the Lordship of Christ, Christ is the priority. What he says is what we go. So how do you reach a person like this? First of all, you build a relationship with them. And secondly, you sit down and begin to read the Bible with them. Begin to read books like 1 John, where you start to see to love God means to obey his commandments, where you start to see that, listen, God doesn't forbid you from having sex outside of marriage because he hates you or he doesn't want you to have fun. He actually loves you 
and wants you to, to, to honor the marriage covenant and, and, and have sex inside the marriage of covenant because it brings about way more joy than outside. God wants you to love people and to forgive people in your life because it actually frees you up to love people. Holding bitterness and unforgiveness towards somebody doesn't do anything but destroy you. God wants your freedom, not, your, not, not for you to be in prison the rest of your life. God loves you. And so helping them get an accurate view of who God is and an understanding that God loves them and he calls them to lordship because he is a good God, a good father. The third type is a church hurt atheist is what I would call them. This is somebody who doesn't believe in God, they would say, but they don't believe in God because they've been hurt by the church or they've been hurt by a Christian. If somebody in their life has done something wrong to them or uh, kicked them out of the church for a different reason. I've heard all kinds of stories of the way churches have handled different things, some in the right, some in the wrong. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's somebody who says, man, because of the Christians that I've met, I'm, I'm done with it. Maybe a father that was supposedly a Christian walked out on when they were young. It's just, I'm done with the whole Christian thing because anybody I've ever looked at has let me down. Their view of God has been shaped by Christians and not by the God of the Bible. How do you reach that person? You sit down with them. You build a relationship. You begin to love them the way God loves them. And you open them to the book of John and you say, hey, let's just learn about the God of the Bible. Let's quit basing our opinion of God off of somebody or some church. And let's base it off of what God revealed in the Bible to us about himself. And most of the time what happens is they end up falling in love with the God of the Bible. And then the last one is this, the too smart atheist. This is the person that, that would say they don't believe in God because science can't prove it or they believe that God is just a crutch for weak people. Usually this person tries to make you feel stupid about acting. Uh, really just they try to make you think that they're smarter than you about this. And you know these type of people, these people will really, really make you angry if you let them. But here's the thing I've learned. A person, no matter how smart they are, they have to deal with the historical fact of Jesus. Was he a man? Did he die on a cross? Did he raise from the dead? If he did, then his teachings have to have some credibility. So you take that person and you say, listen, Let's talk about the teachings of Jesus. History, history tells us he's a real man. Let's talk about him. Let's talk about what he says. Focus the person on Jesus and the resurrection. It's what Paul did. If you want more information on that, there's a great book called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist by Frank Turek. It's incredible to help you with that. And then the last thing to finish up is this, Paul's trust. Paul's heart was for lost people. He had a method to reach them. And then Paul trusted. What did he trust? He trusted that the Holy Spirit would empower the gospel to reach people. Listen, God's not called you. He's not called me to reach every person. But what he's called me to do as a Christian is to faithfully love him, to faithfully love other people, and to faithfully share the gospel. And he'll take care of the rest. Listen, he's already told us the gospel is the power of the salvation for all people. Right where you are, I want you to bow your head. Father, I thank you for your scriptures. God, I thank you that you teach us. God, I thank you that you want us to be a part of what you're doing. Father, I pray for the person right now that's in this room that doesn't have a relationship with you. If that's you sitting in this room right now and you say, Billy, that's me, I don't have a relationship with God, but today I want one. 
Would you just lift your hand right where you are? Say, Billy, that's me. I want to pray for you. Is that anybody in this room? You'd say, Billy, that's me. Amen. Amen. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you guys as we end today. But for the rest of us, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, for who you are. God, for what you're doing in the lives of people. Father, I pray, God, that you would use this group of people. God, would you burden our heart for people around us that don't know you? God, would you God, would you intervene in our hearts, God, so that we see people the way you see people? God, that we feel about people the same way you feel about people. Would you empower your church to be more than just a service? God, would we actually be your church in this community? Father, raise us up to do incredible things for your kingdom. God, I'm so thankful for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Thank you for being here and we'll see you back next week.